Welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On this week's episode, we're continuing on talking about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, specifically focusing on the gift of healing and the apostles in the early church. So if you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're joining me as always. I'm out here in the she shed. I hear a couple little birdies singing to us this morning. It's going to be a blessed day. And we're going to jump right in, continuing on talking about the spiritual gifts. Last week, we focused on the gift of healing. And we talked about what it looked like for Jesus to heal. What did it look like when he healed the demon-possessed man? What did it look like when he healed the Gentile woman's daughter? And so now we're going to focus a little bit more specifically on the work of the apostles after Jesus has left the earth and commissioned them to go and do greater works than he. So we're going to go ahead and just do a little bit of a history review because I always think it's so appropriate as we set the scenes for what we're going to be discussing today. So let's remember that up until this point in history, when Jesus is there starting his ministry, the people have been looking forward to the coming Messiah, the Savior and the King. And the Old Testament is a picture of God setting apart a specific people group for himself. He dwelled with his people in the temple made by human hands, according to the instructions given by God himself. He had a means of atonement for the people for the forgiveness of their sins, the sacrifice of animals daily, yearly. And yet this system required the people of God to continue killing, to continue offering up the blood as a means to receive forgiveness for their sins. The people would see firsthand God at work among them, and yet they would reject him choosing to worship false gods and setting aside his word. This has been a continuous cycle for the Israelite people of God, as it is for us as believers today. We have to make a conscious decision. Are we going to obey God or are we going to choose to sin? Now, Jesus is on the scene. Remember, he is God, and yet he is fully man in the flesh, and yet still fully God. He's dwelling among the people, and he is sent by the Father to preach the coming of the Savior. Jesus says, I'm here. I am. And he's going to teach that redemption is available through him alone and his work he came to fulfill. The people need to acknowledge their sin and believe he is the answer to forgiveness between one's creator and self. He was accredited as the true God through his spoken word and by the miracles and healings many observed him perform or they received himself. Jesus the Christ, he is the anointed one, and he came to proclaim the good news of salvation, which is the deliverance of one's sin and its consequences. So Jesus' earthly ministry took off from a human perspective at his baptism in the Jordan River. His baptism wasn't to remove sins, for he was sinless, but rather it was to model that he was obedient to do all that the Father had sent him to do which would fulfill the prophecies. He would take on the role as the perfect high priest and the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The Spirit of God descended upon him and he began his work as the sent one, preaching, teaching, and healing all kinds of sickness, diseases among the people. His three-year ministry was complete when he offered himself as the final atonement, as the final sacrifice, according to the Father's foreknowledge and will to create a way for people to access him, which apart from Jesus' death on the cross, we cannot as fallen sinful creatures dwell amongst our holy God. 
We needed a mediator, and Jesus is it. So the men he has chosen as his first 12 disciples, those that were with him during his earthly ministry, they too would be commissioned, just as Christ was, to preach and to teach and to perform healing and miracles amongst the people to also accredit their work done in the name of Jesus. Only now it's different. Because as I had mentioned just a little bit ago, before the coming of the Christ to earth in the flesh, before the Spirit descended upon the Christ, who was fully man and yet fully God, before the work was finished on the cross to bring reconciliation between repentant man and God the Creator. The people individually did not have the Spirit of God to direct them. But Jesus promised this to his chosen people who follow him, to those who are his disciples. This is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it reads, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So ten days after his ascension, his word was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The people who had watched him go to the Father and had heard his last words, that they would have the Spirit of God, that indeed did take place. The Spirit came upon each believer present, and they would start their scent lives to tell of the good news of salvation for all who would believe. And the church would grow as the Spirit moved and hard hearts were cut, bringing each believer to salvation. The apostles were told by Jesus that they would perform greater works than he, which would be a hard thing to interpret. But now we find ourselves coming back to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, various tongues, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Remember, never for oneself, always for the building of the body of Christ. So this is confirming for us that as believers today, ministry is to not be done alone, but as the body of Christ for building up Christ's church as the gospel is shared and his people are brought back to him. So let's look more directly today at the apostles and the work they were able to do because of Christ's finished work on the cross. So on Sunday mornings, the Lord's people, we gather together, we hear a message preached, which is God's word, spoken by one who has been sent by God to shepherd his church. They are in the role of an overseer. And their main job, their main gift given by the Spirit for the edification of the body of Christ is to exposit the word, which is to clarify the meaning of God's word in a way that God's people can understand it. It is a great job. It is a great job given by God to these men. Paul told us that above all else, he desired that the people could prophesy, meaning speak God's word boldly. These men must also be able to teach because not only are they commissioned to speak God's word, but they themselves have to study God's word. They have to examine the text. This takes hours of preparation to have a final sermon prepared to feed the flock of God's people on Sunday mornings, which God's people are not to forsake the gathering together, we are to encourage one another as the days continue on. We grow spiritually together as believers through the hearing of God's public reading of his word. 
let's not neglect this. So there are over 15 sermons in the book of Acts preached by Peter, James, Paul, and Stephen. And we're going to look more specifically at them along with the work that they were able to perform as they went. So in the sermons that these men spoke, they talked about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, the prophets that were sent by God. They were quoting these men, these men being David and Joel, Isaiah, just to name a few. And all of these men who had foretold the very events that would take place, the very events that were taking place right before the people's eyes. For Isaiah and Joel, they had prophesied over 700 years before the coming of Jesus. And for King David, he had prophesied nearly a thousand years before this time that Jesus is here on the stage. Those speaking these sermons, they also spoke of the miracles and the healings that Jesus had performed, that which they would have seen with their own eyes. The miracles and the healings that were totally unquestionable. They confirmed that he was indeed who he said he was. And so at the preaching and the teaching of the apostles' words, many believed. Many were cut to the heart. Many were therefore baptized. And many became followers of Christ. I want to look at Acts chapter 2 verse 43. It says, Then the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So, because of this text, I was taken to a passage in the book of Mark. And so I'm going to go through and kind of break down these wonders and signs a little bit deeper. So let's do that. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17, we have this passage, and it reads, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This passage right here, this is what causes division. This is what causes division amongst people in churches. And how we interpret passages like this is so important. But we're going to come back to this. For now, we're talking about these signs. We're talking about the healings that the apostles were able to do to others and that they had happened to themselves. So these signs the apostles were already performing before Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We see this in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, 1, where Jesus has called his 12 disciples and gives them power in his name over casting out the unclean spirits and healing sicknesses and diseases. So they were already doing these signs in the presence of Jesus. So these healings were never done apart from the teaching and preaching of God's word, nor were they done by Jesus without the preaching and teaching of his spoken word. And so never are they done for the apostles without the word of God. So when we go back and we look at this passage in Mark, 
where it speaks of serpents causing no harm to the apostles. We know that this was evident whenever Paul, who was taken as a prisoner onto a ship, and the ship, by God's will, would become shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Okay, they've just been shipwrecked. They have come upon a tribal land where these people have no idea who they are. And I'm not sure if you have read any missionary stories. I love Elizabeth Elliot. I love Jim Elliot. I love to hear about what God did in and through them whenever they were going and sharing the gospel with a tribal nation attempting to. These people are hostile. They don't speak your language. They have no idea who you are. You look different. And yet the word of God tells us in Acts 28 that when they were shipwrecked on Malta, that these people showed unusual kindness to them. Wow, this was a this was an act of God. This was a display of his grace. Because island people, they tend to be very superstitious. Okay, and so after they've welcomed Paul along with the other prisoners and the other sailors who were going to be transporting these people, Paul being one of them, it says that they witnessed Paul being attacked by a viper. And because of their superstitious beliefs, well, Paul's just overcome not being killed in this giganto storm. And yet, oh, now he's getting bit by a viper and he's for sure a murderer. Because remember, superstitious people, they tend to worship false gods. And so now karma's back to get Paul. We hear people say this, you reap what you sow. No, if we are people of God, we believe in God's sovereignty. We don't believe in karma. We believe in providence. And so that's what we're seeing here. When Paul is bit by this snake and the people are assuming that he's some murderer and if the snake doesn't take him out, well, they're going to. The viper doesn't kill Paul. This was a miracle in and of itself because that's what snakes do, people. Because of the fall, God has given snakes the ability to bite and many of them are venomous. It is a defense mechanism that he's given them. So they bite and yet it doesn't cause any harm to Paul while he's there in Malta. I wanted to just take a minute to let you know that Malta is a small island out in the Mediterranean and it's home to about 40,000 people. You should definitely look it up. It's interesting. It's so tiny, you'd about miss it, but I think it's important for you to kind of identify some of these places as we're talking about them. But people today, I want to really stress this, people today are so quick to focus on supernatural abilities that the apostles had and that they themselves believe that they can replicate. But can we just go back to all of the things that Paul has gone through, that which was God's will? Paul would be nearly stoned to death prior to this happening. He would be nearly starved to death. His ship just outlasted this deadly storm, but now he's shipwrecked. Wow, okay, if we're going to talk about a miraculous sign, can we also talk about the things that God 
had him walk through that which are not so what some would say super natural and yet many people can get hung up on something as the viper and as this healing and so let's continue on here as we look at these healings specifically that Paul was doing Okay, so if you have your Bibles open, I ask you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to start by looking in chapter 2. And I really want us to focus on the fact that Peter is standing up, and he is preaching this sermon, and he is talking about how Jesus has just fulfilled the prophecies that were spoken by Joel, that were spoken by David concerning him, and so he is accrediting Jesus' work by using the Old Testament to show these people that he is who he says he is and he has done what he said he would do and they did not have to perform any specific healings to have these people repent and turn from their ways and believe the word of God no they simply shared the gospel they shared the truth and it tells us that in Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call and then it tells us that there were many saved. There were 3,000 souls added to them that day and that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Okay, so now let's focus again on these wonders and signs. And we're going to look at chapter 3 where a lame man is healed. Now, I work as a laborer delivery nurse. I have seen babies be born from the womb that come out their missing extremities. I've seen babies that are born deaf. I've seen babies that they're missing part of their brain stem and they cannot survive outside of the womb. I've seen babies born with different anomalies. And I've never seen one of these babies supernaturally healed not to say that God couldn't do it if he should will but here we have a man who he was lame from birth so he was not able to walk he was basically paralyzed because of this condition that he was born with and we see him asking for alms from Peter and John and what do they say to him in verse 4 and fixing his eyes on him with John Peter said look at us so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them then Peter said silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at 
what had happened to him. But we must continue reading. We must not isolate this text in itself. In verse 11, it tells us, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know yes the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all so again the people are marveling over what's just taken place what they believe that somehow in peter and john's own power that they've done and they say no this is not by our strength no 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 this is about this is about jesus remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of the fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus. This is about him. We're doing this in his name. And so this healing was not done apart from preaching the word of God. And they also highlight that this man possessed faith. Remember last week's podcast, we talked about that there would be times that Jesus would heal people because they had faith in him. And there would be times that he would heal someone. And because of the healing that had taken place, because of their new heart and their new desire to serve the Lord Jesus, because they saw who they were in their sins and how Jesus had wiped their sins clean and had given them a new life, their faith became evident and they immediately wanted to follow him. And so, let's continue on. In verse 17, he says, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did all your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Oh, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall bear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Let's remember that they are in the temple, and Peter and John are speaking to God's chosen people, to the Israelites. To the, the people who were of the promise. And yet, many of them didn't believe. Many of them denied the works that these men were performing. Many of them 
did not consider the words that they were speaking and how Jesus truly did fulfill all of the prophecies through his death on the cross. So now what I want to do is I want to turn to the book of Acts chapter 5 and we're going to look at the verse in chapter 12 starting in 12. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. We hear this over and over, that through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Let's remember, they were never doing these miracles, and they were never performing these signs without giving glory to God, without speaking the word of God. God's word was always accompanied whenever they were performing these healings. And so we're going to continue reading and it says, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. We really cannot even begin to fathom what it was like with the apostles during this time. The healings that they were able to perform in the name of Christ. The people that were healed not only physically, but they were healed spiritually. They were repenting of their sins and they were they were demonstrating faith in Christ. And they were turning from their old way of life. And by his spirit, they began to live in this newness of life. And not only that, but they were healed from their physical ailments. This was miraculous. This would have began to spread all across the region. Multitudes were being healed. Can we fathom this? Can we imagine going to a great city and seeing so many sick people, seeing so many wheelchair-bound people, blind, deaf, oh, and they're all healed? We can't fathom this. And yet all of this was part of the Lord's plan to bring accreditation to the apostles, to the work that they were doing, which was always accompanied by the word of God, which was always telling people that they were to repent and turn from their ways and they would receive refreshment because their iniquities would be taken away. And so, if we'll go ahead and we turn to an act, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, we see another supernatural event that the apostles are able to perform. And this is the raising of a woman named Tabitha, which is also translated as Dorcas. So Dorcas has just died. She's a woman of the Lord. She's known for her good works and charitable deeds that she performed. And Peter comes in. He kneels down. He prays. And he tells Tabitha, arise, and her eyes open, and this became known all throughout Joppa, and the result was that many believed on the Lord. Once again, the act that the Lord allowed Peter to perform in his name, along with the preaching of the gospel, 
it was all to accreditate the work that they were doing. And God allowed the apostles to perform the same miraculous healings and miracles that he had done during his three years of his earthly ministry so that many would come to believe not only by the words, but also by the works. And the early church was growing rapidly, rapid expansion. So now, as we finish up the healings of the apostles, I would like us to turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see now that the gospel is going to be taken to the Gentiles. And this is so very important because remember, the entire Old Testament, which is leading up to the coming of Christ, which is leading up to God's word being available to all people, not only the Gentile, not only the Israelites, which were the people that God dwelled among, the people that he would give the land to, the people through Jesus was born of. But now the gospel is available to everyone who will repent and believe. And this is going to be a dynamic time during the apostles' ministry, specifically for Peter. Remember, the Jewish people, they knew their Old Testament. They knew the ceremonial laws along with the moral law. And so the ceremonial laws consisted of many different hand-washing rituals. They were forbidden to eat of certain animals. They had very specific requirements that they had to perform within the tabernacle, within the temple, done by specific men, designated by God through a specific people group. And now we're going to see something miraculous happen. This was all during the time of the apostles bringing accreditation to them and to God's word all the more. And so I'm going to read this here. This is a lot to read, but I think it's so important for us to understand why the apostles were able to perform the works that they did to bring accreditation to them, to ultimately bring accreditation to Jesus and the work that he did while the early church is being formed. And so now as we see the gospel being shared with the Gentiles and the Gentile believers also receiving the spirit of God, we're going to see a wall come down. So in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so now we're going to see that Peter has a vision. And here's what it reads in verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, when he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again from the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call uncommon, must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. So now, in verse 17, while Peter wandered within himself with this vision, which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down and go with him, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, who one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? This was huge. Peter has just recognized through the power of the Holy Spirit that his vision was to show him that God has not chosen to make a distinction between the Jewish people, which were his chosen people, and now the Gentiles. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for all mankind, for all who will put their faith in him, repenting of their sins, and trusting that his work was sufficient. So we continue on. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. 
Then Peter opened his mouth and said, He opens his mouth, friends. We have to share the gospel by opening our mouths. He says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins and now something supernatural happens just as it does with every single person who repents and believes they are baptized with the Holy Spirit this is something that cannot be done apart from the mighty hand of God this is not something that you do whenever you enter into a water tank to be baptized outwardly into the body of Christ. This is not something that you can seek by calling upon fire to come down from heaven. This is done by God and God himself. And so he had foreknown that this would take place. He had ordained this to take place, that Peter would have this vision, that Cornelius would call upon Peter and that Peter would boldly speak the word of God about all the mighty things that Jesus had done. And now, in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those of the circumcision, the Israelite people, God's chosen people originally. Now these Gentiles have just received the Holy Spirit. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these men should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This was such an important turning point in the history of the work God has done. Because up until this point, even God's chosen people, the, the Jewish people, his apostles, those that saw him, those that witnessed his death, resurrection, and ascension, those that were there in the upper room, whenever on the day of Pentecost they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were still under the understanding that this was only for God's original chosen people, the Israelite people. And it's not to say that God still does not have a special place in his heart for that nation, but now he has made his grace available to all. And we see this present here with this centurion, with Peter preaching the good news, them believing and then receiving the Holy Spirit as confirmation.
And because they have received the Holy Spirit, just as the apostles, when they were in the upper room, were able to speak in different tongues and different languages so that they could go out and share the good news of the gospel, Cornelius is able to speak in different tongues, as are those that are present with him. I would imagine there were many people present with Cornelius. He was obviously a very well thought of man. It tells us he was a devout man, one who feared God. And not only that, but he had a good reputation among the nation of the Jews. So why is this important? It's so important because God raises up people for a specific purpose in a specific time period so that his work can be accomplished. So let's think about this. Cornelius, a man who was respected by the Jews, just had this miraculous event take place. Peter's witnessed this. And now they're going to go and they're going to share this to all the people. And now they're going to be able to perform some of the same miraculous signs the apostles were able to during the early church to once again bring accreditation to the apostles' work that Jesus had commissioned them to do. Let's turn now to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So if you would, turn with me there. Again, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It reads, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the gospel in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is Acts chapter 10 exactly. Now let's look at Ephesians 2. These are very well-known verses in Ephesians where we read that it's by grace you have been saved through faith and not a result of yourself, but it is a gift of God so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. But I think that we often get so caught up in the beauty of those verses and how miraculous it is that we have access to God through faith. And because of his overflowing grace, we have now received forgiveness and we can be part of his family and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we forget to read on. In verse 11 of Ephesians 2, it reads, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing 
peace and might reconcile them both in one body in God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. This is beautiful. This is why we need to understand all of God's word. This is why we cannot simply isolate the text. As God's people, we need to see what he has done from the beginning of creation and what he tells us he will do whenever he returns. We need all of God's word from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And so as we grow in Christ, as we become more familiar with God's word, we will see more clearly what God has done and what God is continuing to do. And so as we wrap up this episode, talking about the healings of the apostles, that which the Lord would allow them to do to bring accreditation to their work, which is ultimately to bring accreditation to Christ's work, as he did commission them in Acts 1.8 to be his witnesses and that they would receive power to do these mighty works, we have a clear picture of exactly what it means when we hear the word healings and we look at the healings that the apostles performed. Next week, we're going to ask the question, are healings still for today? Are healings still active in the church age? And so if you would, I invite you back next Friday as we address that topic. a wrap for this week. I hope that you will all leave here enriched just as I know that I have and encouraged to go out and to serve the Lord Jesus and to seek to make more fully devoted followers of him. I hope that you have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.